that's velocity of money. How many times can you make that same dollar turnover? Okay. So it's not, it's the complete opposite of buy and hold magic of compound interest. All that nonsense rule 72, they focus on cash flow. So you want to buy asset, an asset is something that puts money in your pocket that throws off a check every month so that you can create lifestyle. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7-Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What is going on, good people? Welcome to the Before the Millions podcast. If you are a usual or this is your second or third or tenth time tuning in, then you get the usual welcome back. To the BTM podcast. This is episode 208, and I'm your host, Darrell Lalia. And on today's episode, we are featuring an individual by the name of Mr. Curtis May, who is a financial advisor. Now, Curtis has been wealth planning for individuals for over 35 years. And he's not your typical financial advisor. You guys know I don't bring those guys on all the way even back until. Like one of our first episodes, I think it was like episode two or three, right? I needed to bring on these non-conventional financial advisors because the average financial advisor is not the best person to couple with a real estate investor. So Curtis is a non-conventional financial advisor. In fact, he likes to say he's the anti-Wall Street advisor. And what we're going to talk about on today's show is why you shouldn't listen to Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey. And I'll caveat that because certain people should definitely listen to them and their principles. But as investors, when you have the investor hat on, right, once you've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, once you've understood the concepts that Robert is teaching, you've moved past the Susie Orman and the Dave Ramsey financial concepts that you need to do in order to get your life in order. Now you're trying to accentuate your life, right? There's a difference. So there's a different and there's a difference in action. And there's a difference in the people that you surround yourself with, right? And the people that you listen to and take advice from. So at a certain stage in your life, you listen to Susie Orman's and Dave Ramsey's. But once you become an investor, you can't listen to those people or the financial advisors who work off those principles. We'll talk about a little bit more of that on the show. We'll talk about the four rules that make banks work against you. The bank is not in the business of making you rich. I'm sorry to say they're in the business of keeping your money and making themselves rich. We'll talk about the accumulation theory versus the velocity strategy. 
and why most people all their lives have operated with the accumulation theory. But again, it's just a theory. There's a totally different strategy that you can use to accumulate wealth, and it's by velocitizing your income. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the instances when cash flow is more important than equity. For many of you nine to fivers looking to take the jump to full-time real estate investing, this is one of those instances, right? Equity means literally nothing. I could care less about equity if I'm trying to quit my job, especially in a specific time frame. I care all about cash flow. And then Curtis breaks down his five personal finance principles as well as his three rules for investing on the show. And that's how we wrap it up. So if you're in the mood for a little financial knowledge, the non-conventional financial knowledge, then tune in, strap up, and let's get this party started. Before that, however, and I won't make this too long because I literally have spaghetti cooking while I'm recording this intro. So I got to get to that. And yes, I cook like very rarely and oftentimes it's the same like three dishes that I've perfected. But yes, it happens. So this is one of those times it's happening. So, yeah, I wanted to make sure that if you haven't yet, um, because I haven't brought it up in a while and it's something that I want to make sure that, you know, you have access to at all times. Right. Um, there's a large community of tribe members. And a tribe member is simply somebody who listens to the BTM before the man's podcast, right? This is a tribe of people. Why? Because we help elevate each other as we climb. And I think I got that from NABA, the college accounting. Um, was it a fraternity or like a group? I don't know. But um, no, I don't think NABA is a fraternity. I think it's like a an association. Anyways, lift as you climb. And that's what we do in the tribe. So if you head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash group, G-R-O-U-P, that'll take you to our Facebook group where myself and other tribe members, including past guests of the show, congregate and help each other again lift as we climb. So again, when you're listening to the audio podcast, right, there's no feedback for your thoughts. There's no feedback for your ideas. There's no feedback for what you're actually implementing in your business. And you want help along the way so that you can go further faster so that you can cut out a lot of the minutia. So join the group over at beforethemillions.com forward slash group and get some feedback for your action or your potential action if you're planning, right? Beforethemillions.com forward slash group and join our community of over, what, five, six hundred people at this point. And let's grow together. Oh, yeah. And this spaghetti sauce, boy. Oh, yeah. It's finna be fire. Bon appetit. Just call me Chef Boyare, okay? Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. I'm weird in the sense that I never got that go to school, get your education, get a good job talk, okay? I'm second generation business owner. So my grandfather was self-employed. My family, we owned a supermarket growing up. And, you know, so I've heard from the time I was seven, You'll never make any money work for somebody else. So I never, I think I've worked for somebody, maybe I've had jobs, but I always viewed a job as a temporary inconvenience <laughs> to give me the cash flow I needed. So I, I think the longest I ever worked for somebody was like 13 months. And I would always figure out why I hate it. But I started early. I mean, you'll you'll find when is I've always had hustles, right? So I, you know, I worked at our family store 
you know, doing groceries, wrapping meat. I mean, you know, stamping as a 10 year old stamping stuff. And I was like, I could always, I would, and I was like, this will date me. There's a show called Family Ties. And so I have people used to call me Alex. I was a black Alex P. Keaton preppy. I was to pour my money out on, the, on my bed. I had to keep pennies in jars because we had the stores. We had a lot of cash. I would cap money every day. So I can't remember when I couldn't count, you know, money. And talking about like five, six years old. And, you know, I just, I knew it was always the business, even in high school and college, more so around the time where I realized I was not going to be a pro basketball player. I was, you know, sporting good stores, needed somebody to sell stuff to different organizations. I did Amway. I, you know, I got my business, my insurance license in college. So I've kind of always been in business. I've never been afraid of money. And, you know, I was always looking for ways to make money. You know, my favorite, I talked to our clients about this four asset classes, business, real estate, paper, and commodities. And my favorite has always been business because I'm my father's son. So oh, yeah, I love it. Given your background, I guess, did you immediately go into the work that you do now, helping your clients? And, and I did, actually. I started, I was a junior in college and I got licensed in the business. First insurance license is in about two years, three years after that, I got what they call securities license. So I could do mutual funds and 401ks and, you know, that kind of stuff. And with that particular company, I, at about 24, I made it to what's called regional vice president. So it's equivalent if I was like in real estate, I was the broker, you know, I had agents and, you know, I built a sales force and that whole thing. And I did that for another 12 years uh, full time. So I kind of was, yeah, I was really doing this since now. I wasn't any good at it. <laughs> so, you know, because, you know, it was basically sale. I mean, I learned most of what I know now. I learned during that period of, you know, really getting into personal development, learning how to lead, sell, train, you know, a lot of the skills now that make me money. I learned in my 20s, but I was for those of you have hope because I was introverted. Everything about the business terrified me. And but I met people that were making 30, 40 grand a month. And that was it for a job, you know, because, you know, I was a business major in school and nobody that was a business major wanted to be in business. <laughs> okay. So I, what, what is the, I thought you majored in business to go into business. So I, it didn't even occur to me to get a job and nobody wanted to do that. And then I got exposed to what I was doing. And then I started meeting people that were making what people were making a year that people were talking about coming out of school. I was starting to meet people that were making that a month in the business that I was in. I was like, oh, I was no more good. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't care. My, one of the, thing, all the early things that also helped me, because I wasn't any good. I made a little bit of money. It was part-time. I was up and down, struggling. But my dad always told me it takes two to five years of, to build a business. So even with that, I heard that around nine or 10, right? So I'd heard all these things. So, you know, and I've heard stuff, you got to give your efforts time to compound. And I just, I saw the vision. And if somebody could do it, I could do it. So, you know, once I had that vision, I just, you know, you kind of stayed at it and most people quit too soon on stuff, you know, but I saw, look, I didn't know anybody else making that kind of money at the time that I wanted to make. So I was like, all right, I would meet these people. I was like, all right, there's nothing special about these people. I just got to get better. So that I forgot the question. Was that the answer to the question? Right, right. So what, I guess this is a two-part question. What were okay. those, what, what in particular were those people doing? And then what was your first major failure going down that path or maybe a parent failure? And how did that later set you up for success? Yeah. So they, you know, so I was in financial services. And so these people, now it turns out they were really building like sales forces, which I actually don't like that now. I don't like, it was kind of like 
network marketing meets financial services. And what I realized that I like, I like network marketing. I like financial services and financial planning, but I don't like them together because I don't believe you can be a part-time financial expert. And so, but I just need to see that, okay, if you're going to work with money in that field, because I was, I met the president of like uh, Smith Barney and I started to see, you know, these Wall Street guys and, you know, Sandy Wiles and the city groups. And I started to get the idea of that game. Right. So that kind of exposed me to that. And I was like, all right, I like this. I, you know, it's exciting. I wanted something that was like basketball. I mean, I could play it. And if I got good at it, I could get my championship ring, you know, in income, so to speak. And I guess the setback, it was just a, you know, listen, first of all, my dad used to always tell me, you learn by screwing up. Right. So too many people have a, they're afraid to mess up. But I was always taught activity produces knowledge. So, I mean, I've lost commercial businesses where we had a commercial property, but I didn't know how to manage the property. So we got behind on that and, you know, went through, we had to sell it, not at a short sale, but almost at a loss. I mean, so I've taken our lumps. So my father got sick with one of our businesses and I'd open up He had, I had boxes of unknown open tax bills, you know, and then I started to understand <laughs> you know, I had a crash course on taxation, a crash course on inventory management, because we had a brick and mortar in a bar and I realized all our people were robbing us. So you had to, you know, people not putting the money in the register. So it was a early on understanding human nature that even family will steal from you. I hate to say that sounds so negative, but even people that like you will, will you have to watch your money. Nobody will watch your money like you will, my dad used to always say. And so you had to really get a really handle on human nature. Yeah. All right. And, and understanding, like I trust people, but you've got to have systems in place so that people can't burn. You, you can't just be out there in la la land. So those were a lot of early mistakes, especially being in retail, right? Because retail is kind of intense, long hours, you know, while I was still, you know, learning how to do what I do now, I, you know, my background family wise is in retail. You know, we had a supermarket at one point we have four bars, you know, in Philly, you know, taverns where mm -hmm. so in the hood, like so in North Philly, where you could get robbed at gunpoint, let's say twice a year, you know, and get, you know, so it was, see this gray hair. If this is on video, my hair wasn't great until I took over the bar business. So that, so I'm experienced with like brick and mortar and, you know, the online stuff. Now my business is all virtual, but I've been out in the street. Right, right, right. So when you transition to what you're doing now, what was, I guess, the biggest challenge for you to actually become successful? Like, what was that one big thing? Or maybe there was multiple, but what do you recall is that there, earlier there on? There were multiple. Yeah. So one of the things that really over the last decade or so helped our business take off is that I realized what business I was really in, right? right. And I wasn't in the financial services business. I was in the marketing business of financial services, Right. And so I, you know, for those of you that are, that are listening that want to be in business, that's the business that you're in. So I started on what I call Planet Dan. So magnetic marketing, Dan Kennedy, I, I really got into that. It took me a while to understand it, but, you know, learning how to track people to you instead of going out hunting, trying to run people down. And then now the people that are younger, you would know the name Russell Brunson, right? But Russell Brunson, uh, ClickFunnels, that whole thing, he's a I won't say disciples, not the right word, but a student of Dan Kennedy, right? So he's, all he did was take that stuff, modernize it and put it into software, but the principles are the same. So I started with that. And then that stuff kind of clicked for me eventually 
three or four years in getting better every year. And that was the difference. Whereas now it's understanding what business I was in and then creating systems because systems make money, right? Systems, wealth, all wealth is a product of systems. And uh, the other thing I tell you that changed and I think about it was that I actually, I'm known as the, the anti-Wall Street financial advisor. So one of the things that took me from a typical advisor was in, I don't know, 2000 or so I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? And so that was a real turning point for me professionally because I realized that what he was talking about or he and she, because Sharon Lecter is the co-author and I, I can see, I met her and a lot of the information from the numbers really come from her because uh, she's a CPA. But the, you know, it, I realized that a lot of what we were doing, I didn't think was right. Because if you, when I started getting into studying people with money and studying economics, they don't do none of the stuff you see on TV. They don't buy term investor difference. They don't max out their 401ks. They don't buy and hold and, and hope the stock market goes up. They don't do any of that stuff. And that's what I started to realize that, you know, people that you see on like the Forbes 400, they don't, you know what they do? They build businesses and they buy real estate. They don't get there through what I call the accumulation theory, which is, you know, buying and holding, hoping the stock market goes up. They don't do any of that stuff. I was on the phone with a, a call with the person that runs $35 billion portfolio of this big insurance company I work with. He, <laughs> he didn't do any of that stuff. It was all about velocity, leverage, cash flow, buying businesses, all the stuff that, you know, I had been talking to our clients about. He verified it for me that it was a two different games going on. And a lot of people, a lot of your listeners are, especially if you're in business, I'm speaking at an event down in Florida next month. And it's like uh, to a bunch of uh, business owners and the advice business owners get is toxic to them. If you're trying to be in business, you can't follow what I call typical, the Suze Yorman, Dave Ramsey stuff. It's not bad, but it's toxic for you. If that's where you're trying to go, because you, what you want is control of your money liquidity use and control of your capital is your first goal. Absolutely. So these are some of the concepts that you started teaching earlier on, and you've perfected and honed those concepts over the past few years. What are the, in your space, what are the bad recommendations that you often hear? And these can be with your peers, people, you know, that you go out and have lunch and drinks with, you know, your, your personal friends, but at the same right. time, you don't always have the same principles. What are some of those bad recommendations in your right. space? I don't have the same principles. <laughs> My nickname is a contrarian. So I don't have the same principles as most financial people when I go to conferences, right? So right. you hear, so when you hear, so I call it the accumulation theory, all right? So when you hear stuff like buy and hold, you're in it for the long haul, buy term investor difference, get out of debt, like pay off your mortgage early, dollar cost averaging, you're, you know, max out your 401k for business owners. And if you're getting advice, like you should get a SEP IRA, a solo 401k, all of that is bad advice. <laughs> okay. And that's what I call, that's what they teach in personal finance. Because Think about this. So there's four rules that govern all financial institution advice. So this is what I started to understand. So let's play role play with me here. So let's say you're going to open up your own mutual fund or bank, right? So the first thing that you want is me to deposit my money in your account, right? How often do you want me to do that? As often as possible. It's all like every payday, right? And right. Uh, direct deposit, right? How long do you want me to keep it there? How long do I want you to keep it there? Forever. If you're the institution. Forever, right? Or, or as long as possible. And then when do you want me to take it out? Never. Never, right? So now what is, if your goal on this call or if you're listening to is become financially independent, we call it in our business being a cash flow near. So our goal in our clients is get you to, I'm not going to curse, but the, the position of what we call FU, 
right? So passive income, twice your expenses. So I could care less about net worth. You can't eat equity, right? So it's all about cash flow, right? And so, but if their goal of the institutions is assets under management and they don't want to give you back your money and your goal is cash flow, are your interests aligned? Right. No, they're not aligned because you're trying to live. In, and so it costs them money if you start withdrawing money out of your funds, right? So what I teach is the opposite. So here's where we differ. We call it the velocity method, right? So in velocity, when you look at institutions, what do they do? They, you've got to do what they do. Stop doing what they tell you to do. So what do they teach? And this is what I learned that I had to begin to understand and operate my business and my wife's not personal economy this way is studying what they do. So what they focus on velocity, which is an economic principle, right? So what does, and this is most of your listeners already do this stuff, right? All the real estate investors who mostly my clients are real estate investors and business owners is they get this. They're just not, nobody validates for them until they meet me. They're uh, so you want to like Mr. Wonderful says, listen, if I put half a million dollars in your deal from Shark Tank, his first thing he wants to know is how soon am I getting my money back with friends, right? So he can do what? Put it into something else and get it back and then put it in something else or in real estate. That's the Burr method, right? And so that's velocity of money. How many times can you make that same dollar turnover? Okay. So it's not, it's the complete opposite of buy and hold magic compound interest. So all that nonsense, rule 72, they focus on cash flow. So you want to buy asset, an asset is something that puts money in your pocket that throws off a check every month so that you can create lifestyle. Then they want leverage. So they're not trying to get out of debt. You actually need to get in more debt, but it's good debt and bad debt. So you want to use debt to buy assets, right? And then they use, this is another topic. I teach a strategy called privatize or infinite banking. They use, you know, permanent insurance as they're like banks buy billions of dollars of like whole life insurance. So that's where they store their tier one capital. So, but the funny thing is, and this is what I discovered in what we teach, those strategies work in personal finance and they're safer, right? And so you can adopt those, but you got to get out of what the world is thinking and, you know, get a strategy that works towards helping you manage your money. You got to be in control of your money. So you got to want to be in control of your money because my feeling is that you are your best manager of your money. Because when we get into this in the next segment, you know, investing is not about buying something. It's about becoming something. So you have to become an expert. You have to, you know, be in control of your money. So that's why here. So the, it's literally the opposite of that. Oh, business owners. I got people to open a clubhouse. They're telling, he's all these big real estate investors. Oh yeah, my guy, he got me a, a solo 401k and I'm saving all this money in taxes. I can put 30 grand in this thing, blah, blah, blah. You're not saving money in taxes when you max out a qualified plan. You're just postponing them. <laughs> okay. And you have to ask yourself, do you think taxes in the future will be higher, lower, or the same? So you just have to get into and understand how these things work. And most people don't know how they work. So that, that's kind of what I want to do. I teach people how they work and, you know, is that thing you got going to do for you what you want? Just a quick side tangent. When you talk about the parallels of what you teach um, and how they relate to personal finance. So let's take infinite banking for an example. The infinite mm -hmm. banking concept, does that in particularly relate to how you should treat your personal finances? And if so, how? Yeah, well, it's one of the things that we teach with that is to be the center of your personal finance. See, all banking is a concept, right? And so all money flows through somebody's bank. And so banking just means creating a pool of capital that you control that can move at cost to meet some need you have. So that's all banking is. So infinite banking is using properly structured dividend paying whole life insurance as a storage facility 
but the concepts are one, you finance everything you buy. Okay. So you either use somebody else's money and pay interest, but when you pay cash, you're giving up interest you could be earning. So what if you could create a pool of cash? And, and here's the other part of that 35 cents for every dollar leaves most people's personal economy in the form of debt. So while everybody's chasing investments, trying to you know pick winning investments, here's where the banking comes in. See, most people think the key to growing their wealth is investing. The right wants to know, I, I was looking at somebody asked, put a point on my account. I was like, I want to learn about investing and what can I do to grow money fast, which is the wrong question. Okay. See, because what happens is you're, everybody's trying to hit a damn home run. Okay. And so what you have to do is first thing you have to do in trying to create wealth is you got to create maximum efficiency. So you have a finite amount of money. So if you've got what I call a leaky bucket, one, it's because there's six things that you got to shore up. You got to, one, most wealth is lost by how people manage cash flow. Okay. So most people don't have personal or in their business a good system for managing cash flow. So they don't even know where the hell their money's going. Two, these are what I call wealth transfers. There's five of those. There's 20, but the top five are how people pay their mortgages, like doing, sending extra payments, bi weeklies, 15 year mortgages are a complete waste of money in today's current monetary system, monetary policy, you know, with low interest rates and that kind of thing. Taxes. Number one, wealth transfer is taxes. So you must have a plan to mitigate current and future taxation. Three, how people fund their qualified plans. Four is how they pay for education. And five is how they pay for major capital purchase. So one of the things that we deal with with infinite banking is one, getting back that money you're giving away, being efficient and getting money. Once it leaves, hits your asset column, your goals have never let it leave. So what we do, especially with like investors, we say, all right, look, here's the business model. Here's how banks make money. And so I'll show an example in our talks with Bank of America. And so banks control most of the money. So what if, in addition to your investing, you could be able to begin to be your own hard money lender, you know, that you could control. So now you're taking, you're installing the business model of the financial institution in your personal economy, right? And so now you can make the money off your investments and still now get the profits that you're giving away to some third-party institution. So it works if you're 24 and just out of school and you can only save $300 a month. And I've got people that save $50,000 a year and they finance their own deals through their banking system. You know, it just, but you got to run ones and built in a day. You just got to start somewhere. But all it is at the core is just a saving strategy. You know, part is right on the richest man in Babylon. Part of all you earn is yours to keep. So the magic question is, where do you store your cash? Where's the best place to store cash? And that's where it fits into people's strategy. I mean, this talks an hour in and of itself. So that's a, hopefully that's a, <laughs> that was helpful. No, absolutely. Very helpful. Yeah. We've had a few people come on the show, talk about infinite banking. So I just wanted to highlight when you, yeah, talk that's my specialty, but what I do this difference, we put a planning wrapper around it. So the banking is a, like, so what I teach is principles, which we'll talk about a little bit later of personal finance principles, drive strategy and strategy drives tactics. So a tactic is a product that you buy. Banking is a strategy, but there are principles that precede that. And so too many people, when they're talking about banking, they're tactical. They're worried about the product and should you use this, which is the, really the last thing. It's not even that important. It's important, but it's not the most important thing. It's when we get caught up in the product. And then they kind of know a strategy, but don't have any principles. And uh, so that's my problem. I find myself being the word police. I mean, I just, I find 
you know, I was just on the phone with the son-in-law of Nelson Nash, you know, because I'm going to Birmingham next week to the to their uh, to the think tank where I can get around the true people that really have this stuff dialed in. And I'm going to tell you, it won't be 10 black advisors there. <laughs> okay, so unfortunately, you know, and because uh, it costs money, it's a specialty. So it's not, oh, I heard about this banking thing. And hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's not a gimmick to sell insurance. So I'm sorry, that was a pet peeve of mine. I'm back. No, absolutely. I love it. Well, you talked about the principles of personal finance. So let's go ahead and jump into that because I'm curious as to what these principles are. Because again, you said that the fact that there are vehicles out there and if we don't have, apply the right principles, I mean, the vehicles are meaningless. They're worthless. So let's talk about the principles because I think, like you said, that's the first step to really understanding your personal finances. What's principles? Yeah. Yeah. So principles are, so if you read, I, I'm going I'm to butcher this quote, Ray Dalio's book, you know, most you want to be principles based because so principles are, don't change. They're unchanging. And so if you don't operate with principles, every situation comes at you. It's like experience it for the first time. So, but if you've got principles and experiences like, okay, well, I've seen this before. And when this happens, I do that. You know, uh, Jim Rohn says it this way. Most people don't have a money problem. They have a philosophy problem, right? Of how they think when money hits your personal economy, what you do. So, these are the five principles boiled down that help what we teach is that help clients become and remain financially free or financially independent. Okay. So the first principle, and I'll go through them fast and we can break down a couple of them if you want. So the first principle is save, right? You've got to earn money. And so this is right out of the richest man in Babylon. Part of all you earn is yours to keep. So you've got to make a decision. Now people say cash is trash and I want to say, want to keep all my work money working. That's stupid. Okay. Because COVID's proved you need to have money. You need to have access to capital. All right. If you're a real estate investor and the government made it legal for them not to pay you, well, the mortgage company still wanted their money. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you've got to save. So if, what we teach is, listen, you need to be saving 15 to 20% of your gross income. And savings let me define savings safe liquid accessible guaranteed so oh well i'm putting 20 percent my i'm maxing out my 401k that's not saving okay that's investing okay all that money's at risk and it's not accessible and it damn sure ain't guaranteed all right so i don't i'm not saying not do that yet okay but you know i wouldn't do it past the match i'll just put it that way i'll just put that out there but you want to save right so you've got to work or, and just because it's the discipline like a lot of times people work coming to infinite banking i want to see if they can save so i'll give you like a one little tip there is what i would do this is a you'll see this if you're in business in a book called profit first but in our system we teach people to create a wealth capture or in our system we call it a wealth coordination account so the first thing i do those of y'all that are, have W-2, which is wonderful. You know, Jim Rohn says wages make your living, profits make your fortune. So you earn your living by day, right? And you work on your profits at night and on the weekend. And, you know, you don't have to jump out of a perfect airplane without a parachute, okay? <laughs> but if you hate it, but you got to prepare for that, right? So if you make 100 grand a year, for example, that's 15,000 that you should be saving, Right. And so then I will go to, all right, let's go. I'm going to go ahead a wealth coordination account. And then I'm going to divide that by 26, which is 576 a pay. And then I would open up a checking account. And then I would have that put directly in that account every pay because savings need to be automatic and systematic. He's not going to do it. You know, willpower is a book called willpower doesn't work. I mean, you have to make all wealth is a product of systems. So you need a system to make yourself pay yourself first. Now down the road, 
That's the money we use to fund their banking policies. But the first thing I want to do is see if they can do that, right? Before I even let them near the, the banking strategy, right? Can you save? Do you have discipline? Second principle, these are the most important two, right? Not all important, but the second one is the concept of maximum protection, okay? And so I call that safe defense. So defense wins championships. So safe protection, the purpose of maximum protection is to bring you, is to transfer risk and to protect you from loss. So for example, if you look at things like most people, because I, I look at all their stuff, right? So I look at their auto, their home. Most people, a lot of people, I won't say most, are underinsured with their car insurance with regards to their liability coverage. So if they were, or one of the kids had an at-fault accident, they may not be covered. So if you got 50, 100, and then, you know, you hurt somebody or they're killed or they can't work and they make $50,000 a year and you have, you know, 100,000 of coverage for their, you know, bodily injury for people in the car. Well, guess what? After the 100,000 insurance companies out and you're liable for all that stuff. Okay. And so you've got to protect the kingdom, you know, homeowners, you have replacement costs. Most people should have an umbrella policy. You should call, you got to have maximum coverage on your auto. You should call your person and ask for umbrella policy because you got to get all this stuff while you don't need it, right? You know, you need to head up entities, you know? So if you're buying stuff, you should have not doing business in your social, okay? And start with the LLCs. You should have wills and trusts. You should have, if you got young kids, you should have a trust. You need disability insurance, you know? You need uh, life insurance. Most people are under, this is not even talking about banking. This is talking about if you're, let's say you're 35, if you take your annual income, multiply it by 25, that's how much insurance they will let you have. That's called your human life value. So most people are running around underinsured because nobody ever told them what about the concept, the principle of maximum protection. So you want the goal of insurance is to indemnify you, which is break, make you whole. So, and most people, cause they want to get, you know, that's not sexy, right? So everybody wants to jump to what I invest, what are the things you recommend, Curtis? I recommend you make sure that everything's there, whether you live, die, get sick, get sued, you have to play defense. Okay. And so most times I have to slow them down and speed them up and make sure they look at that so that they're building it, but they're building what they're doing on a foundation, right? The third principle. Before you go, go to ahead. the third one, um, I just had a quick question and we'll get right yeah. to the third one. But you get me rolling, so stop me. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a percentage of uh, gross income, you said that savings is about 10 to 15%, or at least 15 to 20. 15 to 20. Okay. So yeah. as far as maximum protection, what have you seen is percentage of gross income that typically goes towards maximum protection? Yeah, well, most people don't have it. Okay. But so let's say on the, so like with disability, they'll, the most you can get is like 60% of your income for disability coverage. You no, know, cause that's so think of that as paycheck insurance, right? Then you want to look at like property. You want replacement costs, like for your homeowners, or if you've got a business or your business liability, business interruption, and so all of that is, is transferring risk to the insurance company, because if you didn't have it, then you'd have to come out of pocket, but you probably don't have it. Or if you did have it, you've got to liquidate what capital you've accumulated to cover this thing because you didn't want to pay insurance premium to cover it, right? So that's why you got to liquidate your costs. With life insurance, most people just sell policies and, you know, I've agents that say, oh, I only do whole life. I don't like term. And listen, the, the answer is it's not either or it's both. You need both, mm -hmm. right? Because if your objective is, so first objective is the most coverage you can for the least amount of money, okay? So if you're between 18 and 40, the insurance company, just take whatever you make a year, multiply by 25. 
That's how much insurance you should, you can have, you know, that's your maximum coverage. Okay. And what you should do is they'll give it to you. You should get it. Okay. Cause it's nobody gets out of here alive. So it's not, if you die it's when, okay. So you want to get it while you're young, while you're healthy, while you're insurable. Cause most people take for granted, they'll always be able to get it. And you don't, you could, I have people, and I say, look, you should max out. And three years later, they got type two diabetes. And now they're either rated or they can't get coverage at all. I mean, stuff happens. I have people, you know, get it. And all of a sudden they have MS and now they're uninsurable. I mean, so, you know, that kind of stuff. So you have to get it. And that's a big deal. Cause what happens is I always tell people don't die for free. So you have to begin with the end in mind and protect the kingdom. And, you know, it says in the Bible, wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So while you're building that, you need to make sure that is in place from the get-go. Now, when we teach the banking part, now you're going to use the living benefits of the insurance. But right now we start, and most of that's term, right? And so if you're between 40 and 50, let me just finish that thought. 41 and 50, they'll give you your income times 20. Over 50 is your income times 15. So that's max protection on the life insurance side, for example. And so you should, most people just don't, nobody knows that. The reason they don't have maximum coverage is they don't know it exists. They think it would cost too much or, well, oh, this will never happen to me. I had somebody say to me, well, I ain't planning on dying anytime soon. This is younger in my career. I was with the first company and I was, so being the smart ass that I am, because he was half listening to the other room. I'm talking to his girlfriend because they weren't married. I, I said, well, okay, I get that. What's your birthday, by the way? He goes, he told me, I says, okay, thank you. What's your date of death? And then he's like, you know, he had a dumb look on his face. I said, yes. Well, when you know that, then call me over the day before and I will take care of you. You know, tell me, you know, so I, I'm not like a good salesperson. I'm going to call you out because you're going to say stupid stuff to me. I don't want to leave no money for these people to fight over. I don't want to leave her rich. I mean, if you said to me now, you won't even get to me. But if you say that to me and if you were in the room, I might punch you in the mouth or at least smack you upside the head or so I'll hit you aside with my briefcase. And, um, so I'm a live wire. I'm not, I'm a little crazy. So y'all, you know, just still know that if you call me, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the truth because I'm the guide It's your money. Okay. I don't tell people what to do. I don't even give investment advice. I teach people how money works. Okay. You are your best investment advisor. So that's two, right? I know I made that longer than it needs to be. Okay. <laughs> Principle three is, is legacy. You know, I call uh, full replacement of assets at death, you know, leaving a legacy of wealth and wisdom, which is important. And the fourth principle, so this is where other, most of the investors would be people that want to leave their job, even the business, even successful real estate investors is what I want is six to 12 months of your income liquid in not cash, like in piles of cash, but this is where we, so when I talk about the principles, banking, the way I teach is principle one, because that's where your money comes from, the fund, infinite banking principle four, which is liquidity. So your first three to six months is your emergency fund. And in my mind, everything above that is your opportunity fund where you've got money leverage to go do stuff. So I want you, I try to get people to see themselves as like little Berkshire Hathaways. Like you're running a little hedge fund and you're looking for assets to buy or build that generate cash flow, right? And so what you want to do is you want to use your capital or collateralize your capital. And you want to use other people's money. So like I interviewed out today on our show with a person that does business credit, right? And so it's like how to access lots of money because you want to get other people. You can, you, cause it don't take long to, to, to borrow $50,000, but it takes a minute to save it. Right? So, you know, you do want to use other people's money, even though saving is fundamental. And the fifth principle, which is what all your listeners are into, but that's where they want to start. But it's last, which is velocity of money, Right. And velocity, again, is an economic principle. And 
in that, we actually have a program where we check this called a personal financial snapshot. So everything I said, we put into a program where we measure that. And towards the end of that, what, what I want you to focus on every quarter, you want to ask yourself, did I, how much did I save? How much did my investment income grow? Okay. Because you want, what we do is teach people to invest for cash flow because two types of investing, you can invest for capital gains and you hope your Bitcoin and your stocks go up and you're trading, flipping, wholesaling. That's, it's really, wholesaling and flipping are really aren't investing is really more of a transactional business, but you're still right. investing for capital gains, right? And a tax chip, we had a, on our mastermind, we had a tax person on, we were breaking that down the other day for about an hour and a half and your business income. So you want to, those are the metrics that I measure every quarter. Am I growing my revenue and how much did I save? How much is my passive income? So I, every quarter, I want that to go up. And those are the metrics. And so, you know, we look at debt and net worth, but those are byproducts. I wouldn't look at them. They're not a met, a wealth metric because net, I know people with net worth. I got clients with net worth a couple million dollars. They can't rub two nickels together because they're not liquid. You know, their rents aren't paid on time. They're broke. I tell them, I tell you, look, you need to get a job. You can't just wait for the first of the month for your damn rents to come in. You know, you got to have some active business where you make money every week. That's me a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And so that was the thing. It's like, listen, you got to, you got to, you got to make money daily or weekly. And while you're, even if in sales or stuff, like you can't just wait for these big hits, right? You got it. Because what happens is if you're just, you get these big hits, but what about the, the month or two months, you didn't have any revenue. So you still got to go back and pay for all the bills you couldn't pay while the money was coming in. So you want to be able to make a couple, a thousand, 1500, a couple thousand dollars a week. So now you've got this money or right, as to your savings, you've got money that you can go out and look for stuff to do or what assets you're looking at. And now you can advance your wealth. So those are the five principles, save, protect, full replacement of assets at death, liquidity, huge, and velocity over accumulation, right? And you could do some accumulation, but really if you want to get out the rat race in 10 years or less, then you have to focus on velocity and cash flow. Right. I like it. I like it. Let, let's uh, put a magnifying glass on velocity really quick before we get to the last and final round. Let's talk about maybe your three principles for investing, right? The way you look at investing or maybe your three rules for investing. I think that you have three. So let's start with that. So the three rules of invest. So let me start with, and I said this, I'll elaborate a little bit. So investing is not about buying something. It's about becoming something, right. right? And so the philosophy is be, then do, then have. So if you look at successful people, they've gotten good at something first and that, you know, specialized knowledge because money follows value. So when you make money, you're trading your specialized knowledge and solving problems. And then your, the money you receive is a result of solving problems in the marketplace. Okay. So the three rules of investing are invest in your expertise. What do you know? What do you know how to do? What problems can you solve? Right. The second rule is invest in which you can control, which you can influence the outcome of. See, I can't influence whether the market goes up or down, okay? But if I understand our business, I could put a dollar in marketing and get back out $2. Well, that's 100% return. What if I get back out $5, right? So I like investing in what I understand because if I understand it, as my knowledge goes up, what happens to my risk? It goes down. It goes down and see, so what happens is investing is not risky. Being uneducated is risky, right? And so the, the risk is not with the investment, it's with the investor, okay? And so that's what that goes to becoming. So I got a client, Janelle, who's the bird queen. She's so ninja. I mean, she, she buys, she got a hundred thousand of zero 
100% credit card. So she'll take down a house in a credit card. She'll borrow against the policies that we set up. And then, you know, she, she got her team in place. She'll, she buys, she loves like multifamilies and she's the HUD queen, right? So it's all HUD. So her money's guaranteed, her rents are, she's a pandemic proof business, right? And she's on Instagram. She talks about this all the time, right? But she will, you know, it's all leverage. And then the, the government pays her stuff back. She pays off. So she'll cash out, get her refinance. But see, she had to learn how to do that. So now 16 years in, if a wholesaler calls her, she knows the numbers in her head, where they're at, and she'll buy a property. I won't say completely sight unseen, but she's ready to buy it now. And so people bring her her deals first because she knows that she can do it, you know? And so that's what I mean. I've got people that buy businesses, you know, that buy notes, you know, well, I had a young guy that I had him doing the banking thing, right? But he didn't know what he wanted to do. Then he calls me up. It's like three or four years trying this, trying that. Oh yeah, Curse, I just bought an ATM machine. Really? Okay. I didn't know you could do that. And then within about a year, not even a year and a half, he had like six of them, eight of them. They averaged five to $600 a month per machine in fees. And it cost like two grand, but he, he bought a course who I had her on my show too, that taught him how to do that. And he just followed the instructions. Boom. He's got an asset. Then he was trying to buy real estate and he stumbled into the note space. Right. And these, these go, I'm going to Texaco, this note conference, doing this and that. So guess what? He uses his infinite banking policy. We set up, he buys his first note. Now he's a full-time note investor making over 20, 25 grand a month, you know, off of that. But now I say that because Curtis ain't nothing to do with that. That's him becoming an expert investing in his expertise in something that he could influence. He's got, listen, if stuff goes sideways, he's got 20 different exit strategies where he's going to still make money regardless. Okay. He's not out there gunslinging, you know, gambling. See, most people, what they think an investment is, this is the, what I, t- I always ask people say, so let's define, I like definitions, right? So Warren Buffett's mentor, Benjamin Graham says in his book, The Intelligent, uh, what's it called? The Intelligent Investor is investment is something you put your money into where you're with safety of principle and you have a reasonable opportunity to make a profit. Your principle is safe. You put in 50 grand, you're supposed to get back 50 grand, okay? And you have a reasonable opportunity to make a profit. He says, if it doesn't meet that definition, you're speculating or gambling, okay? So let's define an investment. So I so it goes back to is be, do, have. You're becoming investing, which you can influence the outcome of. And don't chase returns. Those are my three rules of investing. Stop chasing returns that you can't control. So everybody's out there trying to hit a home run, but you know, and you can do, I don't say not speculate, but should that be your entire plan, game plan? That's no plan. Okay. And Mm -hmm. see, the thing is that we teach investing is a plan. It's not a product or a procedure. Like trading is a procedure and the product is real estate. Or like if you're flipping, that's trading in real estate. If you're trading stock, uh, and I've got people that are killing it with options and uh, my clients are, you know, trading stocks and trading options and doing call, cover call options, all that kind of stuff. But guess where we store their safe money in infinite banking policies, right? And so if you want, they take a loan, put it in a trading account. Now they're making money both places. You know what I mean? So it's, that's why I'm saying it's no different. It's like, you know, you want to look at what asset class do you like, right? Business, real estate, paper, and I would add a fourth commodities. And then you've got to figure out what you like. My favorite is business, then real estate, but it's business first. So I'd rather, I got three businesses because I need to zero out my taxes. <laughs> so, but I like business. For me, business is my fastest path to cash. So that's it. You know, don't your returns, invest in uh, what you can influence the outcome. And number one, invest in your, what you're expert in. Become, invest in becoming an expert and then lean into your expertise.
love it. I love it. I love it. One last and final question before we get to the last round. Mr. May, when you are feeling overwhelmed, maybe you're feeling focused, maybe you've just lost focus temporarily, what do you do to get yourself back in alignment? And if it helps, what questions do you ask yourself? I, you know, if it's bad, I, I try to, I've worked hard at this. So it's, there's nothing good or bad It's all how you react to it. So I try to say what is good about this. You know, I teach my daughters to, I'll, I'll text them in the morning. What are you grateful for today? Name me three things you're grateful for. So I try to frame myself with that. And then what I do is, cause I have parents that drink. So I was, I saw like bad stimulus, bad response. You know what I mean? And so at, even at 14, so I was like, all right, I work out, I'm going to go to gym. I'll lose myself in basketball. So now it's like, if I'm stressed, I will work out and I read, I journal. So like, you know, i got this little background here, but I've got bookshelves. I like to personal development, learning new stuff excites me. And so I kind of get into like, I'm reading, um, I have a one minute businessman devotional. I've got stoic Medicaid, you know, something 365 days of stoic. So I, you know, I really because your number one asset is you, right? So you have to work on your mindset, your skill set, and your network. So I really control what I watch, listen to, hang around, read. I'm very controlling of that. I don't let people mess up my psyche because the only thing I can control is my attitude and my activity. So I really work hard not to let myself get bummed out, okay? <laughs> you know, buy stuff. I'm a bit emotionally detached, so I can do that better than most people. But that's kind of what I do. I just, I find, right, let me go for a walk. Let me go to the gym. If I can, I still, at my advanced days, I'm 58. I still play, I, I hurt my shoulder, but I was playing ball three times a week with the young guys. So I could still, they're like, how are you? Hey, I can play. I learned how to play, right? So I can beat you to spots because I understand basketball. I don't have to jump over you right, anymore, which I used to be able to jump over you. And uh, so that's it. That's a long answer, but it's like that. It's a whole ritual of what you do to keep yourself because who motivates the motivators? You got to have a routine that when you wake up, you know, your ritual of what you do to kind of attack your day, especially if you're out here, guys, and you are thinking about going full time, you got to learn how to live in what I call the performance economy, right? There is no paycheck waiting for me on Friday. I have to make, excuse expression, shit happen, right? And so that is critical that you learn how to be a work creator because most people are work process. They show up, people tell them what to do and you do it. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you're trying to not do that. Then you've got to exercise those entrepreneurial muscles, which is marketing, which is getting out there and earning that you're going to do stuff that you're not going to get immediate gratification for, but it is working. That's a whole mental thing in and of it. So, and your spouse needs to understand that. Before we, you know, that's a big part. Don't just do out there. You got to have a conversation about that. So hopefully that helps somebody out there. I know that helps, will help somebody out there. Absolutely. Remember that. Absolutely. 100%. This episode is brought to you by Fundrise. It's never been easier to become a real estate investor. With as little as $500, watch your money passively work for you by investing in real estate through a crowdfunding platform like Fundrise. In just a few minutes, you can invest in hundreds of highly vetted multi-million dollar properties such as hotels, apartment buildings, and offices all around the U.S. Based on your financial goals, Fundrise will detail a few REITs, real estate investment trusts, for you to choose from. With the click of a button, you can own fractional shares of really amazing deals that before the Jobs Act of 2012 were impossible for the everyday non-accredited investor to even hear about, much less invest in. 
Now, what I like about Fundrise is their ridiculously low advisory fees. So dig this, at 1.5%, my actual returns on Fundrise are outperforming my stated returns and other assets, even though they advertise higher returns. So Fundrise has no hidden costs, no management fees, no unfavorable terms. And for the BTM tribe, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise, that's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E, for your first three months of advisory fees totally waived. Yes, the actual only fee that Fundrise charges is being waived for three months. Simply head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise and welcome yourself to a real alternative to investing in the stock market. That link, one last time, is beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I love it. I love it. I love it. We'll leave it at that. What is your favorite <laughs> lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Hmm. I use Evernote a lot for when I read, like if I read Kindle, I'll pull keynotes out of my Kindle and paste it in there and notes and just paperwork. So I find I, I really like to, it's a, outside of my journal, I like to store stuff in Kindle because I'm always referencing it for something. I love it. I mean, in Evernote, I'm sorry. In Evernote. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? I don't have to answer to anybody for anything. Okay. So, which is, you know, what I want to be able to do. I don't like people telling me what to do. And so I work because I want complete autonomy to live the life that I want. To me, that's the only reason to be in business. And so I can, you know, for real, I was trying, we were booking a trip to Miami, you know, with my wife and then they were coming back. I got a business trip. So I can really look at my calendar and, you know, do what I want to do and, and not have to ask for permission. That's everything to me. I love it. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Well, when I was 20 something and broke and I wasn't any good at this and my friends were partying and going to Toronto to caravan and going as yes, I didn't have the money to go, <laughs> you know, or when I had money, it was already over because my incomes was up and down, up and down. I had to keep the faith that I was, you know, that I was doing the right thing at this point in life or probably, you know, have the best lifestyle, you know, arguably. I mean, it's not all about money, but, you know, I have a great family. We invest a lot in our kids and, you know, so I've got three daughters. So that's really what it's all about, you know, to be able to provide for them and, and give them great experiences. That's really what you work for. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Ooh, personally or like indirectly through? <laughs> we can go personally, that's fine. Well, I'll start with my father, really. You know, I was a business major in school, right? And so I, we had our, not really differences, but he had bad habits that annoyed me, but he was brilliant business person. And I just, I still quote him. So I got a lot of wisdom from him because he's the one that told me, look, you never make any money, work for somebody else. You know, his stuff is like, it's not what you know, it's, it's who you know. And, you know, if you want to get somewhere, you got to find out where the people that you want to meet are. You got to go there and hang out with them. And if you stay there long enough, eventually they, they'll say, well, he must be one of us. You know, so <laughs> he was showing me how to like network my way into the markets I wanted to be into. So that kind of, I learned, I could have learned more from him. I've learned more from him indirectly and indirectly than four years of college as a business major. I, I don't use 
I hate to say this, anything I learned in college, I don't use in business today. There's nothing I can think of that I use in business. So it's really directly to him and, you know, other mentors and personal development and modeling, that kind of stuff. I love it. I love it. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? When you surround yourself with people that are in your ear that don't want you to leave them, right? And so it's like crabs in a barrel type thing. You got to get around people that stretch you. I, I told people, look, if you're the smartest person in your room, you need to get in a new room because success lies outside of your comfort zone. So a lot of people are comfortable. Even if you're corporate, you're making, you know, two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars a year. You're comfortable, but you know, it always scared me. As I told people, look, you can get fired for one or two reasons, any reason or no reason at all, right? So that would, um, that to me, that's risky right? Just having one source of income. And so I think people don't really, they're in like la la land, like they don't really get what's going on around them. And because I told people, look, you know, you look at the economy, you look at, you know, what the administrations are doing, and it's really Republican or Democrat, it don't really matter. I mean, you know, you can't worry about what they're doing, you have to control what you can control. And I think that a lot of people just are asleep at the wheel, you know, just they want to get up, they want to go to work, you want to come home, they want to, and that's all right. But if you have this burning desire that, all right, I want to become, you know, financially independent, you're different. You have to think different. You have to get up. And if you're, and if it's not burning in your gut that I got to win, I got to be different, I got to then be happy because you're not going to do it. If you don't wake up, I wake up in the morning and I can't wait to get to the computer. I am eating up with it, you know, and I'm like a monomaniac on a mission. And so, and uh, I think you have to get that white hot burning desire thing going on and you got to get that way about something and you're going to be out of your, they won't all work life balance. You ain't going to be balanced. That's a myth. Okay. And there are seasons where you got to be out of balance. You got to bust your butt and then you can, you know, then you work hard and then, you know, there's a guy, Dan Selby said, listen, you won't double your income until you double your time, which is and now I'm trying to do one every quarter <laughs> and then long weekends. You know what I mean? So, because you have to recharge yourself. So that's a long answer, but that's, you know, work hard, play hard and get yourself around people that are winning that stretch you because your brain is like a rubber band. You can't, Put it back once you can't expand your own vision and i think people don't put themselves in position to have their vision expanded that is the number one thing ladies and gentlemen mr curtis may mr may if the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you they want to pop in and say hi maybe even ask you a question or two where can they find some of your information yeah so one i would listen to i would subscribe to two places the our youtube channel and just search for the Practical Wealth Show. You can hear more of the madness that is Curtis on the Practical Wealth Show podcast. And I actually have, where is it? I have a book, an ebook, if you don't mind, I'll share with them. Absolutely. And it's called um, Creating Wealth Using the Velocity of Money. Okay. And if they'll text Be the Bank, all one word, B E T H E B A N K, to 55444. Let me double check that. Yeah, 55444 will um, send you the report and we'll put you on our mailing list. And you know, my assistant may call you and we'll, if you don't have to, I mean, we may, uh, if you reply to that, we will give you like a complimentary, you know, 15, 20 minute consultation, get to know each other and see if you can, you know, if we could be a service. Cause you can hear this stuff, but guys, eventually when you're hearing these shows and somebody, even other guests that you resonate with, you need to reach out and get somebody to help you get organized and get started.
Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Well, Mr. Megan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I've learned so much about your journey. I've learned so much about your principles and uh, we would definitely take heed to them. I'm going to have to go listen to this episode a few more times. I know, I know our listeners will as well. Uh, we appreciate all you're doing in the space and we'll talk to you very, very soon. All right. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. Thank you.